0: Our guest today is a hugely successful and influential talent manager and reality star who began his career on The Only Way is Essex back in 2013. He has since branched out to the sports industry and has started up the huge project where he manages elite talent, including John Ryder, Joe Cordina and Connor Benn, as well as the reality stars Chloe Sims, Demi Sims and Frankie Sims. Alongside his agency work, he recently re-entered the reality TV world, having co-produced and co-starred in his family's first ever reality show, House of Sims. After an amazing response to Series 1, he is now in the works to make Series 2. Please welcome Charlie Sims.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, no, thank you so much. All the way live from L.A. So, Charlie, I mean, listening to that, Bio in that introduction, it's like you are the man that has it all. And by the way, you're only 30. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I'm 31 now. So okay, we're going okay. to thread on the one. But, okay. Uh, yeah. But like
0: you have achieved and done so much for like a 31 year old lad from Essex. And so, what I love about this podcast, and I just love getting to know who you are, what made you the huge success that you are, and I know that this is just the beginning for you and your family, especially with the TV show and everything coming along. Like, where did it all begin? What was little Charlie Sims like growing up?
1: Uh, Yeah, so I guess growing up, and if we really rewind back and go back to like the school days, if you like, um, I was a bit of a terror, really. I was a bit of a class clown. I wasn't really smart. I wasn't really academic. Um, I didn't really particularly enjoy school Um, I enjoyed the social aspect of it playing football in the in the lunch breaks and kind of hanging around with my friends and laughing and joking but I don't think I was ever like um, into into education at all so you know those sort of days for me were like once I got to 16 years old and I had the opportunity to leave school um, I was pretty quick to take that and uh I said to my to my parents, I wanna go I wanna go to work. I just don't feel like going to sixth form or college or university is going to be for me. So that was kind of that was kind of the, that that kind of era, if you like. But it's strange because as you get older, um, and especially now that I've been working for myself the last decade or so, um, education's something that I try to do on a daily basis. So mm. it's just it's just funny how things change. Um actually that how, how much I took school for granted at the time uh, I think we all probably did and we, if we could all re, kind of rewind back and go back to those days we'd we'd all realize that they were quite a lot easier but yeah
0: totally yeah. and I completely relate to that when you feel like you're you have to learn you, it's like you don't want to but when you have the choice to and you do it because you want to it just feels like such a pleasure
1: yeah and I, I had certain subjects that I was really into um but everything else outside of that i just couldn't i just <laughs> couldn't do it like I had no interest at all i was i just remember the day that i got my uh, gcse results with my parents who was actually on a family holiday um and it was just such a disappointing day oh, such no. a disappointing <laughs> day and um i remember thinking okay well i need to you know i need to go off out into the real world and i need to i need to change that so um yeah for education wasn't for me but it is now so you know that's just the way life goes
0: Love that And Charlie what was your family dynamic you are one of four and you're the only boy within your family right
1: Yeah the only the only boy um three sisters I'm the second oldest um Chloe being the oldest and then Frankie and Demi Um yeah we had a really really tight tight knit bond growing up um obviously myself, Frankie and Demi all lived together. And then Chloe's 10 years older than me. So we lived together for quite a little while. Um, and then she eventually moved out and did her own thing at quite a young age. So, um, it was mainly just me, Frankie and Demi who lived together, went to school together, um, and did all the kind of family holidays if you like. But, um, yeah, yeah, we, we were really close. Um,
0: so nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. And you know, we, we, have our, we have our TIFFs, obviously, as family members do. But um, we've been really fortunate up to this point to have a really close relationship. And um, we obviously all work together uh, on the show or across yeah. The Only Way is Essex. I'm not sure if we did cross over. I definitely crossed over with Demi. I'm not sure if I did with Frankie, though. Um, I definitely spent a lot of time with Chloe. Um, but we, we are going back quite a bit, probably yeah. about seven or eight years now. So, um, but I mean, House of Sims came came around, which we'll probably get onto in a bit. And uh, yeah, we, we just remained really close and we all made that leap to go to that show and, and work together again. So yeah, super fortunate that I got to share those experiences with my family.
0: That is amazing. And like something that I think, All of our listeners would, it's like the dream relationship, isn't it? And I suppose a lot of people just don't have that kind of family type bond. Like they might feel like they're on their own or they might, you know, have friends that they lean on, but not that. And I think that's why, especially for the success of your show, why it is so successful. I mean, we will get onto that, but as in people just the same as the Kardashians, right? House of Sims, the Kardashians, like that tight family bond is what people just love and they just wish so much for in their own life.
1: Yeah. And, um, I think a bit, a bit like the Kardashians, you know, you kind of, you kind of watch them and they're, they're so close and they all kind of experience things together. And yet, you know, they have their highs and lows together. And yeah, in your lows, you can either be arguing with a sibling or you can be picking the sibling up. So, you know, we kind of had that, have that relationship too. And that's probably why a lot of people relate us a lot to the, to the Kardashians. But yeah. I think we're very different. We come from very different beginnings and, uh, like you said earlier humble beginnings but yeah. and them guys kind of had a very different start <laughs> yeah definitely. however um our our goal is to catch up so um we'll see we'll see how it goes
0: so talk to me about your humble beginnings charlie what did that look like
1: yeah i look i think for me like when i say humble beginnings i came from probably a middle-class family mm-hmm. um if we were going to categorize it but I lived in a really nice house. My dad and, and mum have always been hard workers throughout their whole life. Um, originated from the East End, so they kind of brought that yes. hard working mentality yeah. into our into our home, certainly for me anyway, not not too much for my sisters. But <laughs> i I think as the as the only and eldest boy, mm. um, my dad kind of installed into me that if you weren't gonna have any GCSEs, you're gonna have to enter the real world and I'm gonna show you what the real world is actually like. Um, and he had some really good connections and he actually managed to get me a good job. I, my first job when I was 16 was, um, uh, a quantity surveyor, um, which was, you know, which is a really good job. So a yeah. job and you do have to go to college to do that. And, um, it was the summer at this point and I'd left school and he said, but I'm going to show you the other end of the scale. And I want you to understand that there's nothing wrong with this job, but if, if life doesn't pan out for you, this is potentially where it could go and he got me a job in a, in a t-shirt factory being a, a a person who really folds up t-shirts once they're printed. Um, which is probably in, in terms of like working in the factory, it's probably the lowest uh, job that you can do in in terms of hierarchy. So he put me in there and, oh my gosh, it was, it was hot. It was early starts. I was doing the 6am shift and coming from straight out of school, 16, you just don't do 6am shifts. So, um, you know, he he would pick me, he would wake me up, he'd get me in a shower, he'd get me dressed and drop me off at that 6 a.m. start. And then he'd show me what the paycheck, you know, he'd give me a paycheck uh, at the end of the week. I got paid weekly and it was like £60 for the week, something like that. So, you know, I experienced that and um, I couldn't wait to get out of that, actually. Uh, and I did that for a few months before my job actually started as a, as a, as a quality surveyor. And then I got I got into that and um, I did, I did enrol in college. But, you know... Although he told me the grass was greener being a quality surveyor, it just wasn't for me. Um, I just wasn't built for that nine to five mm-hmm. office job. Um, although I was kind of out on site doing a few bits and um, trying to get out of the office, that was kind of like the best case scenario presented to me. Yeah. And entrepreneurship and being your own boss and working on your own schedule wasn't really an option. So, and, and rightly so, I wasn't experienced enough, nor was I educated enough. So, um, I had to go into the real world and do these jobs. And I just decided that, you know, being a QS wasn't for me. And I guess, although it was a really unfortunate time for a lot of people, we was going for a credit crunch and, um, I actually got, got made redundant after about eight months, but, um. I was kind of I feel like that was maybe a blessing in disguise because it yeah. just wasn't for me. So yeah. I, I dipped out of college and actually a, a fun fact for anybody who's listening and any ta- and any Taui fans out there I was actually in the same college class as Tommy Mallet and that was when that was the first time we ever met. Yeah. And we were both 16 years old and he was training to be a Q uh, he was training to be a surveyor of some sort as well and uh, we just out of coincidence happened to enroll in the same class, same place, same time. And we both enrolled and we both dipped out at the same place, same time. <laughs> so, you know, um, that was a quite a funny story as well that we'll come back to. Um, but I kind of left that and I was kind of 17 at this point looking for a, for a new, a new, a new chapter, a new start. And then, um, I, I ended a few jobs, but the main job that I got when I was 17 was, Um, I've become a a broker, a junior broker um, in the city. And uh, I got my first opportunity there, which I took with both hands. And uh, I stayed there for quite a number of years, worked in the financial industry for a few years before I left to do TOWI. So we can really go through all the jobs if you want, Nicola, but there's quite a few.
0: (laughs) But I love that because I feel like there's such a pressure, you know, when you're at school to be like, right, what are you going to do? What You know, when you grow up, what do you want to be? And, you know, who, like who the fuck knows? No one really knows. Like, I didn't even know who I was when I was at school, you know, so, and the person that I could become if I'd have done, you know, if I did the the other work that we'll talk about, you know, later on. But it's like, I just love that because it's the success that you've had, completely, you know, less school, no GCSEs, which at the time feel like everything. And they don't, and they're like, oh my God, this is so bad. Oh my God, I got to do it maths. Like, who cares? No one cares. It's so irrelevant but mm-hmm. it just feels so important at the time. So, so to show that you've like gone on and had so much success is just amazing. So quick question, Towie question, just as a, on a personal note. So when I watched Towie, it looks like you're all like absolutely like the best mates and you all know each other. Is that right or not? Like you said, obviously you knew you knew Tommy, but did you actually know the people within the class?
1: Um, I, not necessarily. I think yeah. we know of each other. Okay. Um, and by the time I got there, you know, the show had already been running for a certain amount of seasons. So I was aware of who was mm-hmm. on the show and who wasn't, but, you know, I think especially from the originals, like you know, my sister was an original, she was in season one, I think. And, um, she didn't really know anybody. She'd heard yeah. of a few people and I, I knew a few people that were originals and I, I was aware of the people that were in the show, but Tommy Malick came in after me actually. Mm. Um, we did cross over for a bit and, um, yeah, it was just by coincidence that I knew him and I hadn't seen him since that day. So we were 16 at that time and I hadn't seen him since, hadn't heard from him since, you know, social media wasn't a thing back then. Yeah, Yeah, Uh, there was Facebook but no one was really using it that much. And, um, I didn't see him until the day he came on the show and I was really surprised, but you know, sometimes this, you know, somebody gave me this advice and this quote once, they said, you always meet people twice in life. So be careful where you treat him the first time around. And fortunately I was very good friends with Tommy whilst we were at college. And, um, I was, I was happy to see him come on the show, uh, the second time around that I met him. So, um, but yeah, that's just the way it goes. And he went on to build a really, a really Amazing, great empire yeah. with his, with his, um, shoe brand. So, yeah. but yeah, no, we don't, you know, people didn't really know each other in the show. You kind of get to know each other and become friends with each other after spending so much time together. Of course, yeah. Um, but we didn't really know each other. I knew I knew my family members at the time, which was like Chloe. Yeah. Joey was in the show at the time. Um, and that was about it.
0: So let's talk about basically the moment that changed your life. You Did you audition for TOWIE or was it because your sisters were already in it that they invited you? How did that come about and also were you like i can see this show is happening i did could you see yourself in it did you visualize yourself being invited to go on it like tell me everything
1: well at the time like i said i had a good job i was a financial Mm. broker um a junior a junior one and I, i worked through for about four years until i eventually became um a broker on the on the phones, that's how we used to say it back in the day. You know, it's <laughs> actually trading. So I, I eventually started trading. I was making good money. I had my uh, life all panned out. I enjoyed my job. I enjoyed the people that. Are- I worked with every day, we would become like a bit of a family. So I don't really have any interest in, in kind of moving from there. And like I said before, we we entered a bit of a credit crunch. And funnily enough, when you go into trading, that's quite a good thing because it means the markets are volatile. Yeah. Things are going up and down and things are trading. But unfortunately, after four years, maybe five years of spending time doing that job, um, the market really started to balance out and things started to slow down. And when things started to slow down, people didn't trade. And when people didn't trade, we didn't make money. So what ends up happening is people get cut. And there was a lot Uh. of people at the time um, losing their jobs, senior people that were earning good money, not so much me because even though I'd just become a, uh, a broker, I wasn't on mega money like some of these other guys, but they were starting to lose their job. And it just started to become a very negative environment. Mm. And, um, every day I was going in and people were just talking about losing jobs and what they were going to do and what am I going to do if I lose my job? And I was like, you know, I have kind of got another option here. It wasn't the first time that, um, Tally had come and knock in, you know, they kind of asked me and, I think Chloe and Joey have said to me before, if you ever wanted to come on a show, we'd we'd put a hand out to to help you come on. So the invite was always there. Amazing. Um, and yes, I did have to audition, but it was more of a screen test um, yeah. to see if I was actually compatible with being on camera. But weirdly enough, the first time I did it, um, they didn't like it. They came back. They ended up coming, and that was at the, the Lime Studios office in London at the time, and they just didn't like it. And they were like, you know, we don't really know if we can if you're you're really suitable for this. So I said, okay, look, can we try again? And they they came back to my house um, where I lived at the time, and um, they set up the, the cameras again, and we shot in my house. And uh, they were like, yeah, we think if you're this person and you're the real, you know, the real authentic you, I think um, you're going to do very very well, which was quite a an interesting sign because maybe the first time that I. I went for the audition or the the screen test. I wasn't particularly being myself, um, which you learn over time. Yeah, so that's uh, so
0: interesting. I mean, how did that make you feel? Like that rejection?
1: I think I think I was just probably at a point where I was a bit, I, I suppose, a bit. I don't really know if this is the right word, but I suppose there was a little bit of desperation in a sense that mm. I didn't really know where I stood in life at that point. Yeah. Everything that I thought I'd figured out was kind of looking like it was going to end. Um, and then I was kind of on the search for something new. And I was looking at like Joey and Chloe and they were doing very, very well. Yeah. And they, their workload was almost a third or a quarter of what I was doing. Um, And I was thinking, you know, maybe it's time to switch. And I'd spoken to my boss at the time and he said to me that I think it's a good idea if you go off and maybe you can come back to broken one day, Uh, which was quite an interesting conversation that never actually happened. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it it just happened that way. And I think the second time around, I was like, you know, I'm just going to be myself. And if they like me, they like me. And if they don't, they don't. And they did. And um, that's kind of where it began for me.
0: That is just so exciting. and. How long were you on the show for?
1: I shot five seasons of that show. Wow. Which sounds a lot, but we were shooting a couple of year plus bonus seasons. So like Christmas season, uh, like the Christmas ones too. So I probably did it for over a couple of years. Um, If you followed my journey in it, it was quite a volatile up and down journey. (laughs) Um, I just, I think I had one of the realest storylines in the show at the time. Um, I feel like I was really mixed up within a web of family and relationships and friends. And I just couldn't, I couldn't really figure out where I stood in the show either. I mean, this seems to be a a common (laughs) denominator. Every time I, I get into something new, I never really figure out what I'm doing. So... Um, yeah, I kind of, I was young. I was like 21 at this time. Um,
0: so young.
1: I was thrown into this kind yeah. of world and I didn't really know what I was doing. I'm not really sure I was ever built built for it, to be honest. Um, and
0: also the thing is, is, you know, you see a lot of these, like the reality TV shows and the people that are on them, are on there because they, can't, they want to be like TV stars. You know, they've got the underlying thing of, oh, I used to go to dance school or I used to wanted to be a singer or an actress and a reality TV show came up and that was like, that was their opportunity to break through. And I could probably see that, you know, you're, you weren't like the boy at ballet class going, let it be me, you know, you weren't that guy. So to be mixed around that kind of thing and be thrust into the limelight, when it's just not potentially even who you naturally are, and especially when you're uncomfortable, like in the you know in your shoes at that time, in front of millions of people watching, it's like, oh, it must be so yeah. tough.
1: Yeah, and I feel like because my family were in and around it, it wasn't anything really new to me. Yeah, like you know, I would kind of I was kind of been around it for a while. I'd watched them rise to fame. I'd, I'd watched when they'd go out, how they'd get treated. And, you know, I just, I'd seen it all. So before I even got there, I knew how it was going to go. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I couldn't, there's no way you could have prepared for what was really going to happen. But I'd seen uh, enough to know. And, um, you know, some of these people that come on the show, especially now, I mean, if you want to get into the new series now, and I think we're having quite a big problem with Love Island at the moment, whilst we're on the topic. Yeah, um, the The problem is... When those when these kind of shows start and you kind of get those original cast members in it, certainly for the first few seasons, they're so authentic and real yeah. there's no way they can copy anybody else. Yeah. so that's why we fall in love with these people that's why they become super successful and they they, they rise and their profiles blow up overnight and we buy into them. We buy into mm-hmm. who they are, their characters, their relationships, their family dynamic. that's what make the, that's what makes these shows great problem that I think Tao is having now, whilst they're on their 30th-plus season, and I think uh, Love Island are having now, they're probably into their double-figure seasons. The people that were watching the originals at home years and years ago are now going on the show, and they've already seen the blueprint (sighs) to what's successful. So they're not necessarily authentically they're their self. They're just copying what's already been done. And that's why I think we're starting to see the figures absolutely plummet because you've got Towie on the way down. It's been moved over to ITVX. You've got um, uh, Love Island figures just been posted, the, the, the worst season ever. So I think it's because people are just not seeing anything new. And they're just copying the same over and over again, just different people.
0: Yeah, and And, it makes so much sense because it's like people are going on there, like seeing it as almost like a business opportunity so that I'm going to be the character that I need to be to get into the show, to get what I want, rather than like the innocence of it, I guess how it used to be. It makes so much sense.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think when I came into the show at the time, there were people that had already been watching the show and new characters coming on and they wanted it. They mm. wanted it. They wanted that life. I felt like almost I'd been given it. I'd been handed it a little bit because yeah. of Joey and Chloe had already built that life. So I was already in it f- f- from 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 my point of view. Um, so I never really felt the need to really go out of my way and really scrape to the bottom of the barrel for any sort of storyline. Yeah. It just all kind of happened naturally for me. And um, that's probably what made me a big character at the time but ultimately led me to leaving the show as well yeah um which and so for
0: you to leave was that your decision
1: yeah that was my Mm -hmm. decision probably one of the handful to leave uh, who made that decision but I just come to a point in my life where I was very unhappy um and getting up every day was becoming a chore um and I was just I just got to a point where I needed to make some really big changes in my life. And I made that decision that day and I never went back. And I said, you know, along with some other things that that were going on in my life, I made some big decisions as well, but that all played a part in in the next chapter really. Um, so yeah, it was, that was a tough time, but.
0: And how old were you then, Charlie?
1: Probably around 22 23 max okay um so i was still pretty young still trying to figure out who i was um left and if you want to you know if you want to really break it down so people understand i wasn't just leaving a tv show i was leaving my probably my my what seemed my purpose in life at the time being a star on that show um what was my financial security my the, the 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 machine that was paying me every month um so I, I left that behind and I had no income coming in. I had no profile. I had no purpose when I introduced myself to anybody. No one, you know, I, I didn't say that I was on a TV show. I was kind of in no man's land. Mm. Um I left relationships behind, I left family relationships behind at the time, which have been fixed now. But, you know, it was a tough, tough time for me yeah. as a twenty three year old. I was a young man and I was kind of lost. Um I knew that I had to make some significant changes if I was going to go on to be happy again, which was the main focus at the time.
0: Yeah, and if you don't mind me asking, was there one thing that made you unhappy or was it just a general feeling of the person that you were right then was just not who you knew you were meant to be?
1: Um, Probably a mixture of both. I think I'd let a lot of things build up brick by Mm. brick and um, eventually it come tumbling down and I felt like I wasn't really in the right environment doing thing that I actually felt like I wanted to do never really saw myself there long term it was always a case of like trying to get somewhere with it and then maybe eventually once I get there I can leave but that never really happened for me
0: yeah
1: so um I had to make the choice to to come back and um be a civilian a real civilian again
0: (laughs) but that is really powerful at you know 23 to be aware of yourself like you know self-awareness is is everything right and once you can you know get that and listen to your intuition and listen to that inner voice then you can take those actions to make you know those next steps but being in such a bubble which you know 100% of us look and want to be there and think that's the best place to be on earth to be bold enough to step away from that that's massive.
1: Yeah I think one of the things that really did help me out long term was throughout my entire uh appearances on the show i never stopped working i never Ah, stopped hustling and trying to like create things create businesses Mm. and that was kind of where my entrepreneurship started probably during that period it was like trying to figure out how i can make the platform work for me long term and um that that for me was probably the biggest blessing because once I had made that decision to leave, although I had nothing successful to step into, yeah. I was comfortable with going back into the real world. I was comfortable with the making the cold calls, the emails, to going to meet people, to not um having my ego blasted that I was, yeah. you know, too famous or too well known, or I shouldn't be meeting these people, or, you know, I should get somebody else to do it. I, I was the one who went out and, and did all of the work. And um, I think because I kept that mentality, that really helped me uh, when, I, when I kind of stepped back into the, to the real world on my own. And thankfully I did. Um, and I managed to eventually build a business that, that worked for me long-term. But yeah. there were a few, few speed bumps along the way and a few different experiences. And I explored a few different things, but I think that's all part of life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so you're you're 23. You've left the show for the next eight years. Where you are, I mean, what you have built, I mean, and just oh, it just gives me goosebumps. I just love it. It's so exciting. But how did you get to the point where you're like, I'm gonna do this, and I know that it's going to be successful? Is it by trial and error? Is it something that's given to you an opportunity? How did those the things to where you are now like, arise?
1: Well, I used. The fuel, really, that came from the show. Because once I'd made that decision to leave and kind of give up, ultimately what people saw as a a successful role on the show. Mm. And I think being on TV, a lot of people think that, you know, that's just generally quite a successful thing to do. Anyway, they just they just tend to pair the two together. I'd left that behind, and I was like, I'm not going to be on TV anymore. Um, and i need to go off and do something and be successful in my own right and actually i don't just want to be successful but i want to demand some sort of respect i want yeah. people to to know that whatever i'm going to do i'm going to be great at um and actually the first thing i did um i i set up a um a sports agency because i sat i sat myself down and i was like what do i really love in this world like what what is it i want to do and boxing was I was a huge fan of boxing. My dad's a boxing trainer, has been for the last 30 years, and he's trained major, major fighters. Um, and he'd always take me to the shows growing up. I'd always be in and around the gyms, watching them train. And even when I was on the show, it would always go to the events. Whenever there was a big event on, I'd always go um, and just enjoy sitting, you know, uh, ringside, just watching the fights. So I was like, I really feel like um, I've got a connection with these guys. And I really feel like I can, I can, I can start something fairly Mm. niche and new. Uh, And I looked at that market at the time and realized that being a sports agent in boxing at that time wasn't really a well-known job. Um, So I decided to attempt to start my own agency, attempt to start working with athletes and doing sponsorship deals for them, negotiating their contracts for them, which, again, I'd taken a little bit of that from myself from when I was in the show. Yeah, social media had just started. Instagram was blowing up, Twitter was established, and we were doing paid posts. So I kind of knew how how yeah. that that side of the market worked. I knew what you had to do. I knew what they were uh, what brands were looking for. So I, I kind of took that into boxing, and boxing boxers started to become um, and started to endorse across social media. So that was kind of my first footing into that. And once I got my head around how that worked, I started branching out across lots of other different sports too. Um, but I guess my my rise really came from working with, like, some big names. Um, I worked with Anthony Joshua for a bit. I was actually his tour manager when we did all of his, uh, his appearances and tours. He, we did two national tours with him. Um, and then I've worked with people like Ronnie O'Sullivan, who's, like, yeah. the king of snooker. And today I work with, and i fortunate to work with, uh, world championship fighters, Joe Cordina, um Connor Ben, who's a huge name, John Ryder, yeah. who's had a huge fight recently. Um, so, you know, I've built up a really good clientele of probably about 15 to 20 clients now. Um, Amazing. Which took a long time to figure yeah. out. Um, but that that eventually evolved from a sports agency to a sports and media agency. Um, And then what ended up happening was my sisters who were all on the show at the time, um, they came to me and said, like, look, we've got agents, et cetera, and it's not really working out the way that we thought it was going to work out. You've obviously been a successful sports agent. Can you come and help us kind of use, use your experience and see if you can manage the deals that we're doing. So that's where that kind of relationship started on a professional level with my sisters. And then eventually that led on to, Chloe especially saying to me, like, that, I've done something like 12 years now of being on The Only Way is Essex. I was an original cast member. The show want me to stay. However, I think it's time that we probably look at our options and see what's next. Wow. Which led on to The House of Sims.
0: Quick question. How did you get the mindset to Keep going with something and believe in yourself so much that you know that you could make it successful. Like, have you done any personal development or inner work, or have you ever had a mentor? Because it's just so much success and self belief to be able to not only promote yourself but promote others in that way.
1: Yeah, I think actually, self belief. If you are going to go into entrepreneurship and you are really going to take the world on, yeah, you need to believe in yourself from the off. And when I left the show. I had I, you know I told you a lot, I had that fuel in me that mm. fire in me to say that I'm not going to let anyone beat me even though it was all hypothetical and it was all really uh you know just between me me and myself I kind of used that fuel to to go out there and say right well if I want to be respected and I want to be successful yeah. this is what I need to do I don't have any GCSEs I don't have a degree I can't really go out and get a job so what am I going to do and i experienced some lows as well during that time, some personal lows, and really, what that led me on to um was watching some YouTube videos of Tony Robbins um <laughs> who I had no idea I had no idea who he was at that point, and I just looked up up motivation and I just looked up, you know what can I you know i mean who can kind of be somebody that I can inspire and take some inspiration from. And Tony Robbins was the first person I ever watched. And I just list I just watched him for the first time and I was like, wow, who is this guy? Yeah. He's like talking directly to me. Yeah. Um, and then that led me on to listening and um, reading a lot about other people. Um, and now um, I read all of the time. I've got so many books in my apartment at the moment. Um, I've had moments where I've, dipped in and out of reading but reading really got me to the point where one I had that self-belief I changed my mentality I changed the way that I was going to operate in the world especially in business and it really came down to that education self-education that I think allowed me to develop into the entrepreneur that I am today and I think one of the biggest mistakes that I made was I got to a certain point and I left the reading behind, which was a mistake and I've picked it up again now and I'm so happy that I have because I feel like I'm developing again. You know, I'm developing into this. Although people can say that I'm successful, I've achieved a lot of 31, there's still a lot that I need to learn. Of course. And um, I'm kind of really enjoying my reading journey again.
0: For our listeners, do you have top three books that you would recommend? Oh. Or top three, like coaches or mentors that you listen to on YouTube.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, I think if we're looking at professional sense, um, and not actually just professional sense, I, this, these books can help you in life as well, which I think is important. Um, I think some of the books I've got some books in front of me actually. I'll give you. I'll give you three books that are sitting on my desk right now <laughs> that are really good, yeah. and they're on my desk for a reason. You've got Atomic Habits. Yes. which by James Clear, which is an amazing book. If you haven't read it, go to the bookshop now or Amazon now and get it. It will change your life instantly, almost as if the book was written for you. Um, that's just about simple habit, daily habits that can give you that extra 1% per day and can help your outlook and mentality on life and business um, change. So get that book. I'm reading a new book now by an author called Russ Roberts, which is called Wild Problems. And it's about the decision-making that we make on a day-to-day and that can either be in life or that can be in the professional environment um, and why we have to make decisions and how and when these decisions are uh, uh, approaching us and how we deal with that and I think decisions and choices especially on a day-to-day basis whether you're in life and you're talking about your, your house, your family, your relationship or you're in work and you're talking about managing your staff, your clients, your vision for your business. We all have to make choices on a day-to-day basis, and we and and the better we can understand that, understand how those choices are made, um, I think I think the better opportunity you're giving yourself to succeed. Um, and I think some other and there's another book here called Slight Edge, which is really really good as well. I
0: Love
1: it. Um, yeah. But I mean, I don't just read these kind of books. I, I I've really dipped into I'd say the last year, and any sort of entrepreneur will understand this as well. You can be great at business. You can crunch the numbers as a CEO. You can manage staff. But if you're going to be a visionary for a business and you're going to adapt to your market all the time, which the market always changes and successful businesses have to adapt, the, the most important thing that I've started doing is reading books from creatives. Creatives who are artists, who are actors and actresses, who... Um, might operate, you know. Art can be a, a, an author, or even somebody who's in tech, somebody who creates something. And I've started reading those books because if you can get into a creative mindset and allow your 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 brain and your aspirations to kind of come out, and um, and you can start to see where you're going to go, where you're going to build, even where you're going to start, or even if you've got something that's established and where it can potentially go, that kind of comes from a creative part of our mind. Yeah and i've started to allow my my mind to become more creative and i think the more creative i'm getting the more success that i've seen um, certainly recently anyway in my business
0: oh my god i've got goosebumps
1: yeah I i'll give, i can give you some books it. on that too but yeah. i mean i mean really the creative the creative side of it just comes down to whatever you might like pat you know, whatever you have a passion for it might be music yeah. it might be cinema whatever whatever you like you just have to dive into um, you know, what some of these people, uh, and tap into that to tap into their minds and how they see things differently. Yeah. And that's what as an entrepreneur, we do, we yeah. see things differently to what the world sees it we, yeah. you know, and I think I've, I've taken a lot of inspiration from that recently. So if I can give anybody advice, read the self-help, read the business books, but ultimately find something creative and tap into that. What are these guys seeing differently? How can you implement that into your life, into your business? That's that's one of my, my rules for success.
0: I love it. Charlie, quick question. Do you believe with work, like what we've just spoken about, you know, the books and the audios, that anything is possible for anyone?
1: You do have to have a certain – there has to be a certain something in you. I do think um, some people are very, very comfortable with just being nine-to-fivers. Yeah being told, being managed, you know, told what to do, being managed on a day-to-day basis without having to make any sort of big decisions, big life choices. They just want to go off and do their thing, go to work, come home, have the rest of the evening, watch Netflix, whatever. That's fine. People mm. can people can do that. I don't have any problem with that. I think when you start taking on entrepreneurship, and you have to make those decisions for yourself, big life choices, and it's all on you, and it really is the the big you know that that kind of big moment between failure and success if you like some people just aren't built for that yeah and there's nothing wrong with that but you can discover and find out whether it is for you um and you have to kind of go on a journey and i know as an entrepreneur i've had many many times where i've sat myself down and said you know what i would like to look at getting a job I think it'd be much easier for me I think <laughs> oh my I'd think be God, able to, I know
0: what you to sleep
1: mean. better at life uh, at night. And, um, I feel yeah. like the, the money would be more consistent. You know, I'd be,
0: yeah.
1: I, I think I'd be regarded as a, you know, a really good employee and I could be extremely creative and, and I could, I could be a really good, um, asset to any company. But then, you know, you kind of click back out of that and you're like, you know what, I don't think I can really be told yeah. what to do or, you know, have to be somewhere at a certain time and be told that I've only got an hour for lunch or, and that's just me. That's just because I'm different and um, there's nothing wrong with either of those sides. Um, I understand both, but I'm just naturally a risk taker. I've always been somebody who rolls the dice and that's just the way that I live my life.
0: Yeah. I love that. Um, Do you have a morning routine or like something that you have to do every day? Yeah.
1: I do have a morning routine, um, especially for work. Because yeah. I think the weekends, I do whatever I want. But I think, you know, that Monday to Friday, um, especially, you, you do have to have some sort of routine. We Now, as entrepreneurs, you have the freedom, if you like, of waking yeah. up when you want, going to bed when you want, and not having to be anywhere the next day or do anything, unless it's on your own time. Um, but some of the things that I really have implemented, especially since moving to LA, because that move and... I'm sure you can relate to this moving from where you moved to Ibiza that move automatically takes you out of your comfort zone yeah. from the off Yeah, and you're moving into a new place, new territory. You don't know where things are. You don't know who, pe- it, there's nobody yeah. to call. Um, and you're ultimately on your own. And in, in my case, I was with my family in Georgia, but I was, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the one trying to drive things here and make yeah. things happen. And, um, when I got here, it took me a bit of time to figure out the routine and how, how I was going to do things. I'm still operating on a UK time zone. I've still got my business there and I'm, st- and I'm operating here trying to build something and expand something here. So I needed to figure out pretty quickly what I was going to do. And my morning routine isn't as detailed as some of these high performance <laughs> um, gurus, Okay. My one is actually pretty simple because if I can just nail these things, I can get up and I can just attack the day pretty well. And it's literally as simple as this. I have a, a, I have an external alarm that isn't my phone. Okay. Very important. Oh. You have to turn your phone off or onto a silent mode throughout the night so you don't get woken up. I have a, a, an Amazon Alexa at the moment with an alarm clock on it, which... It ultimately is controlled by my phone. But I set that alarm, at, for me, I set that at 8 a.m. every day throughout the week and then 9 a.m. on the weekend. The reason why I do that every day, some days I get up earlier naturally uh, because my body's now adjusted to the to waking up at that time every day, whether I need to be up at that time or not. Two, I don't go to bed until 12 midnight. So yeah. I know that my body needs roughly between seven and eight hours sleep to operate at its best. Everybody else differs. And the reason why I found that was I got a Fitbit. I um, I, I looked at the metrics of my sleep, and I looked at the data and analysis, and he was like, okay, I'm operating the best when I'm on seven or eight hours. So from 12 to 8, when that alarm goes off, boom i know that's when i need to start weekends i set it at nine because i want my body clock to still adjust to to, so when it comes back to monday i can get up again very important two the first thing i want to do is get out of bed and that you have to open your blinds straight up because if you don't do that you're going back to sleep facts it doesn't matter what time it is in the day if you don't do that if you don't let the sun shine in you're going back to bed get up, bam, those blinds are straight open. And one of my favorite things to do is, is get outside. If you can get outside for 10, 15 minutes and let some sort of daylight hit you, which I know can be difficult in the UK because it's gray a lot, but just get <laughs> outside, get that fresh air, walk the dogs, whatever it is, sit outside and have your morning coffee. Even if you have to put a coat on, just try and do it. So that's my second thing. And one of the one of, one of of the most important things for me is, um, would, would be breakfast, I think. Um, I don't like to have a heavy breakfast, especially if I'm training, um, which I don't train every day. And I think if you can train or at least stretch every day, that's also important, but I don't always train every day. But breakfast for me is super important because I try to have a really healthy, nutrient, super foodish sort of breakfast that will help fuel me, especially for the morning anyway, mm-hmm. uh, right through until lunch or dinner. And that could be a smoothie, which I'll have like greens, um, powdered greens, proteins um, any, and all sorts of different supplements. I have like different vitamins and antioxidants and stuff like that. So those three things for me, I try to do every day. Um,
0: do you I think that moving to L.A. has helped you do those things? Because they're just so much more wellness focused, aren't they?
1: I think... Um, and you might experience this with, with Ibiza. The, the weather's just naturally better. Yeah. So, you know, the sun, yeah. the, when you're waking up at like, let's just say 7.30 and you open your eyes for the first time and, and the sun's already beaming in. Yeah. It's just And the sky
0: bit, is blue. It's the blueness it's blue. of the sky.
1: Yeah. And you open those blinds and you're just like, yes, Ugh. you know, yeah. this is like great. And I don't have to look at miserable weather, grey, weather, rainy. Yeah. Because that that will, I do not care what anybody says.
0: I know, I agree.
1: That will, that will change your mindset automatically. You will not want to go outside. Yeah. You will not be enticed to have a cold smoothie. You will <laughs> you will want to get back inside as quickly as possible and get back into the bed and shut the blinds. Yeah. So all of these things that I am saying certainly are helped by being in a warmer country. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, I did try to implement these things when I was back home. And, um, you just have to be consistent with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, those three things for me work every day. Um, and if I can fit in some sort of reading to, uh, before I kick off my morning, then that's great. Cause I feel like reading helps sharpen my mind, gets me ready for kind of big conversations, helps me think differently. Yeah. Um, after the kind of reset from, from my sleep, so, you know, there's a few things that I'll do on a day-to-day, but them three things there are the, are the main things, and they're very, very simple.
0: Yeah, so simple. Um, are your sisters into, like, growth like you are?
1: No, I don't think so. Um, but, you know, I think there's been a little bit of, one, the industry that have been operating in and around is very – although they've been reality TV stars – when you're a reality tv star and ultimately this could be the same if you was an actor or an actress everything's kind of done for you yeah um you get given your script you get given your uh dates and schedule for shooting you already know what you're going to get paid before you even turn up because somebody else negotiates it for mm. you and does it the contracts are done so you don't have to worry about that and ultimately you're f- shooting for a certain time frame and then once you're done you're onto a break and you can go on holiday and you just get, wait and get told when the next one's coming around. So I think for them, it was just a bit more like they don't really need to worry about driving things the way that, you know, I do Um, because one, I do it for them (laughs) and two, um, they're just not really those kind of characters.
0: Yeah. Um, They're quite,
1: quite happy to do that and yeah. like i said earlier there's nothing wrong with being that person but all that really does is it just puts quite a lot more pressure on me because when things aren't going <laughs> the way that they want them to go they'll ring me up and say hey what's happening here when are we going to do this how quickly can we do that <laughs> so you know that's kind of my my job role.
0: yeah have you ever heard of the book called the magic by Rhonda byrne you ever heard of that no one? but
1: i have read Rhonda byrne's um
0: the in, in, initial one was The Secret that she did. The
1: Secret, yeah. yeah. So The Magic
0: ago. is like just a book. It's probably like my all-time most favorite, but the most simplest thing ever is basically the magic is the practice of gratitude, like to be thankful and and to implement that into your daily life and not to moan and to, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I don't know if that's something that you're, that you're into. I mean, again, mm-hmm. it's quite a like woo-woo, like LA thing, like I'm practicing gratitude, but it's life-changing.
1: Yeah, I do practice gratitude. I do it every Sunday. I do it once a week, really. Oh, nice. Um, so when, on my day off, um, I just sit there. And if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see that I've, I do Sunday sessions of gratitude. And I'll post 10 things, really small things, yeah. um, that I would have maybe took for granted in, in regular life. And um, I just kind of flick back and I look at those moments and I just try to remember those moments. I mean, I, a lot of people sit down and do gratitude for all of the big things in life, but I've chosen to do the smaller things um, because those are the things that get missed. And yeah. ultimately, life, I mean, we can get really deep with this if you want, but I mean, life's such a precious, short experience. Mm.
0: Um,
1: and I just want to kind of remember the small things that yeah. would usually come and go in every day um, so I do that every Sunday but yeah I'm into gratitude um, I'm into mindfulness I've read a lot of, you know, I've read books about it um, I try to practice it as much as I can um, but all of those sort of things are good for you um, so good
0: but I believe that you know we're talking to you about this you know you're being a successful entrepreneur but it's all of these things which people you know don't necessarily see as important, but they're everything.
1: Well, you know, it, what you takes
0: good, you to that next level?
1: I'm going to give you a good example of why I do it, and I'll give you a good reason to why a lot of people should do it. The reason why I do it is because it humbles me. You know, if I'm at this, probably in this period in my life, I'm probably from the outside, externally doing quite well, hmm. but I have that fire built into me where nothing's good enough yeah. and ultimately as hard as that is to, to really understand that's probably that's one of the reasons that's got me to where I am today because I always want more I always want better this isn't good enough I need yeah. to do more and that's what's made me successful in my business life anyway but from a personal point of view I do happen to do that sometimes and I do notice more now than ever that I do that, especially if I'm eating at a a nice restaurant and I've eaten some really good food, don't always necessarily compliment it and realize how lucky I am to be sitting at a table paying uh, these people to cook me and my lovely fiance some good food or, you know, a lovely five-star holiday. Not many people can do that. And ultimately I'm extremely, (laughs) um, fortunate to be able to get on a plane and, go to a hotel and eat amazing food and sit by the beach and do nothing and not have any problems yeah. so you know all of, for all of those reasons I like to do it it reminds me that actually I've come a long way but I'm all I'm a lot lot further along than a lot of other people are yeah. and I need to remember that but I think the other thing is and this is why I think other people should do it too if if that if you don't need that it's kind of humbling is that we live in a digital era today and social media in, in particularly, has become a world of comparison and it's become a world of I always want what that person's got and I've done it. I'm sure you've done it. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of young people out there that are coming into this world that are 18, 19, 20, 21, and wanting what somebody's worked their entire life for yeah. and wanting it today and wanting it now. And if they don't have it, they're becoming depressed or anxious and they're not getting by in life or they're not doing well. And actually, if you can practice gratitude and mindfulness, you'll understand very quickly that you're doing a lot better than what a lot of other people are doing in the world.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Is there anything that's happened to you that like that made you realize that? Because you know, there are so many successful people that hundred percent don't have the self-awareness or mindfulness of that. It's just like, well, this is my life and this is what I expect. But you know, you seem to be really connected to others, I guess. And others around you and, you know, in the greater world.
1: I think I've taken this responsibility on now and you'll start seeing this as on my socials over the next probably year. I sat down with myself not too long ago and I said to myself, you've already been on a major TV show. You had a social media platform and you did not use it for the greater good. You didn't. You used it for clout and you used it for lifestyle. And ultimately, that's fine. I don't have any issues with what, you know, if people want to do that. But I've taken it on as the responsibility for myself to put a bigger message out there now. And I think I want to help people that have been where I've been. And that's ultimately lost multiple stages in my life. And I'm not saying that I'm going to be a role model or an iconic figure, but I might just have the answers throughout some of my experiences for people who are who are entering those stages of their life. And if I can share those on my socials, and if I can share those stories and gratifications yeah. and mindfulness and my entrepreneurial experiences and my books that I've just gone through with you, and I can give somebody who ultimately didn't have any GCSEs or degrees or you know family opportunities or a good support system around them, I might just be able to help somebody, one person at least. Yeah. So if I can do that, then that's great. But if people want to use social media for what it is, I don't have any problem with that either.
0: Yeah. Just love that. What a beautiful soul you are, Charlie. So nice. (laughs) Um, Question for you. What is the worst piece of advice that you have ever been given?
1: The worst piece of advice. That is a good question. I think, I don't know if it's a piece of advice, but one of the worst things you can do, ultimately, you know, especially in a working environment. And when I, when I worked, this is when I worked as a broker and I was in and around a lot of men, uh, a lot older than me, that ultimately I regard as good friends even to this day. Um, but I got very caught up in, believing other people's um values and not my own Uh and that might be uh, a case of you know going out to certain places and doing certain things and the way that they would talk about the world and talk about people which doesn't make them bad people it just meant that their values were different to mine and I felt like to fit in I had to have the same values as well and I think now that I've been on this journey and this experience, if I was to re-enter that stage of my life, I wouldn't have to feel like that or do that anymore. And I think gradually as time went on during, uh, during that job and being in that environment, I changed my values and I changed my mindset quite a lot. And I think that's actually what allowed some of these people to respect me quite a lot, a lot more, because I wasn't willing to, to follow, you know, I was willing to be my own person, even at a young age. And I think as a young person coming into a new job environment where there are going to be older people, certainly maybe more successful people, that doesn't mean you have to change your values on things. So that's probably one of the things that I would say, look out for. If we're going to yeah. be talking about advice, um, Amazing. I would look out for that.
0: So Charlie, talk me through the transition to LA, how you your You're working, you know, in your um, company, in the boxing agency, you know, your sister comes to you and said, I think it's, I'm ready for a change. Let's do something. How did that conversation get you to where you are today?
1: Yeah. So she came to me, I was managing her for a little while. She came to me and said, look, I feel like, you know, my days are the only ways Essex are coming up. I've been doing it a long time. Things, I think naturally were going like this, viewership wise. And ultimately, she'd hit the ceiling to yeah. so as far as she could go. Um, she was, the, you know, one of the biggest stars on that show, one of the biggest reality stars in the UK. How how much further can we really go with this? Um, and it's just time for a fresh start and a new change. And my two sisters, my other two, Frankie and Demi, felt the same. They were like, "Look, we're ready to to move as well." So, you know, talking about and discussing what that move would be, the only thing we could really move to would be a family show. Yeah, um, And we would have some sort of control over the storyline. And ultimately it would be more real. And I feel like although Taui is a reality TV show, it's a community-based show and you end up talking about things that are happening within a community yeah. and not necessarily yeah. your business and yourself,
0: yeah.
1: um, which is what causes the drama. Um and what makes a good reality TV show. But for us, it was like, we've done this for many, many years. We don't really care what other people are up to. We just care what we're up to, and it's time for a change. And ultimately I drew up a concept. I I wrote the concept of The House of Sims. Um, I went around pitching it to different networks. And very, very quickly, we were in contact with OFTV. Mm -hmm. Um, OFTV are a new streaming platform Um, it's global it's free and they were looking for content Um, they had a huge US audience um, and they wanted to bring in a UK audience and help drive those numbers and they felt like they looked at this opportunity, felt like it resonated with their audience and, and, and the content that they needed to deliver and that's how we struck a deal in the end um, but yeah, it came down to me sitting in an office with, uh, the current, well, the former CEO of OnlyFans and pitching that, that concept to them for the first time, wow. which I'm usually quite comfortable pitching <laughs> concepts across, uh, of, other, uh, industries, but this was new. This wasn't something that I was, um, particularly comfortable doing, um, And I went in there and I just did it. And um, yeah, we eventually managed to get a deal done. And so did uh, you do
0: that on your own or do you go in with your sisters? Or is it like, it's almost like, I feel like the Sims family is on your shoulders.
1: Yeah. And and you are like the Kris
0: Jenner of the Sims family.
1: It was at this point um, because (laughs) it was like we we really wanted the move and it was kind of coming around. The next series of Taui was coming around. So it was like, do we sign a new deal
0: uh,
1: and get locked into another two series, which means it's going to probably be another year at least before we can come back around to this. Um, Is there a window of opportunity here? And once we we got into some deeper negotiations with uh, OnlyFans TV, it was like, okay, I went in originally. I pitched, I pitched my concept to, uh, OF. I was with my fiance at the time, Georgia, who works for the, the huge project, but she ultimately sat there and watched me do it. Um, and then the second time around, um, I went back, um, I had another conversation, deeper conversation. And then the third time around was like, okay, it's time to meet the Sim sisters yeah, and it's yeah. time to bring them to the table, make sure we're all aligned, make sure they like us and we like them. Um, and before we, you know, really move into this big deal, and uh, we went out for dinner. Really enjoyed uh, the company of um, of Keeley Blair, who's now the current CEO of OnlyFans, and she's been so supportive. Um, alongside Olivia, um, who who works with OnlyFans and works across this project in particular. Um, and it was at that moment where we were like, okay, let's do this. You know, I feel feel like we're all on the same page, and. Contracts got drawn up, went through the negotiation period pretty quickly. And that was it. That was the defining moment that changed changed our lives, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm super grateful to Amy, who's the CEO at the time, Keeley, who's the current CEO now, um, and the rest of the OnlyFans team who who have backed us for this project. And um, I just, funnily enough, got the, the viewing figures back uh, for season one. And I was so shocked at how good they were honestly they came through and I nearly fell off my chair oh my I was God. like these are actually huge like there's you know compare if you're using the comparison to mm. the last recorded figures on the only ways Essex made in Chelsea I mean if blown them out of the water, and that's that's an exclusive for you because I only found that out a couple of days ago. Oh my
0: um, god, I so, love it! And also an American audience.
1: Yeah, we did like, have an American. We did have an American audience tune in, which was really interesting, and it was yeah. it was growing and growing every episode. Um, but ultimately, the UK audience was the ones that blew them all out of the water, Amazing. and for the platform that's what they wanted. That yeah. was, it was the highest viewed British show that they'd had. And it was the highest viewed long form series um, on the platform as well. So brilliant, just brilliant news to to get that. And uh, cause you never really know, no, you know, we we filmed film the series, it went out and you never really know who watched it until until yeah. we get to see the, the View in Vigas, which as an exec and co-creator, I was fortunate oh enough to God. see. Oh my God,
0: yeah. But yeah. I mean, to move your whole family... To LA, I remember the day that we packed our bags. Literally, sold everything we had, and we packed our bags with nine suitcases to move to Ibiza. And although in my heart it was always what I knew that I wanted to do, it was like I'm 100% meant to be there. Like this is my life. The night before, like the sickness, I was so anxious. It was like my heart was like pounding at my body. We're thinking, what the fucking hell am I doing? Like Nicola, you don't even know anybody there. You don't know. It. Like what? What are we doing? Um, but ultimately, it's been like literally the best decision ever. How did you feel moving, obviously, your, your sisters and your fiancé? Like, come on, girls, Like, let's go. Did you did you just know into your core that this was the right move?
1: I did for me. Um, I think Chloe had the same mindset and Georgia probably did as well. But we're, we're quite a bit older than Frankie and Demi. Mm. Um, so for me, it was always a dream to come to L.A., um, I'd been here a few times on holiday. I'd, you know, experienced uh, the lifestyle a little bit. I'd spent quite a lot of time here. And um, I just felt like going back to that kind of hitting a ceiling in the UK. It was like, well, yeah. what's actually, you know, what are we actually going to do that could potentially go bigger and better and and expand our lifestyle and and really, you know, take on a new journey? And um, moving to LA was that that point where it was like, Okay, well yeah. we've got production there. We've got a production house there that's gonna be there for us. So we're gonna move into that house, we're gonna shoot the series, we've oh. got, probably got six or seven <sighs> weeks of living there to yeah. really know. And then on that after that point, we're on our own. So, yeah. you know, we're gonna have we're gonna have to figure out, are we gonna go home after seven weeks? Are we gonna extend, maybe stay in an Airbnb, maybe find a house yeah. or an apartment? Are we going to get to know certain areas? Because LA is a big place. Mm, I
0: know, yeah.
1: You know, Huge. there's so many, so many places to live here. So how are we going to get to know certain areas? Are we going to be able to drive on the other side of the road? You know, there's, there's a lot of, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of considerations that we're, we were taking in at that point. And um, for me, as soon as I got here, I knew, I was like, I'm not going home. Yeah. Um, and I, I've got a house back home. And I said to Georgia, as soon as that, as soon as that, period is up production period. I'm going to give us five days. We're going to fly back home. We're going to pack our whole house up in five days, empty it. And then we're going to fly here and then we're going to, we're going to put everything in storage and then we're going to fly back here and we're going to find a place to live. And that's what we did. And I knew, I knew if we had any longer than five days, which is a realistic time frame to pack your entire life yeah. up. If we yeah. had any longer than that, we may never have come back. So, um, We did do that. We did five days. My sister did it as well. And then we came back and we got a house.
0: I have got goosebumps. Yeah. And uh, just love it. Gone. Charlie, what is next for you? You are this visionary. You're clearly at the very, very beginning, really, of your journey. I feel like you're so in your power and so in your body that what you're going to create next is just going to be like huge. What do you see for yourself?
1: Um, I think at the moment I'm, I'm really conscious of my time and I think I'm so busy now with one, my agency is still running in the UK. I'm expanding (laughs) it out to here. So I'm going to definitely take on more clients. So I'm just a bit conscious of how much time I have Two, um, the house of Sims series two is about to shoot in September. So I know for that, that certain time period, I'm going to be extremely busy. And I know that we've got a couple more series to do after that. But I guess for me on a personal level, what's next? Um, I've got a passion project that I'm working on called Soul Seekers Magazine. Um, And it is going to be a magazine, but predominantly an online magazine that's going to be focused around um, self-help improvements, ecological awareness, all the Great. things that I feel passionate about, yeah. all the things that I want to share. But ultimately, I want to get people on the show, uh, people on whether it's going to be a podcast and to feature in that magazine, um, high profile people to come on and share their, one, their experiences and two, their values and to to really give people who might not have the deepest education in all of these topics um, some sort of enlightenment and I think mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what this is about. I'm not, I'm not an expert in any of those. I'm not an expert in Same. mindfulness. I'm not an expert in gratitude. I'm not an expert <laughs> in self-improvement. I'm not even an expert in business or entrepreneurship. Yeah. But if I can get somebody on who is and can just explain a little bit more about what they do and how they feel and the causes that they support and the changes that we can make uh, as a person or maybe as humanity, then I think we can make the world a little bit better.
0: Amen. Love, love, love. Charlie, my final question for you, and I give to every single guest that's been on the podcast, is what advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Uh, If I had to go back, if I had to roll back the years to my younger self and I really spoke to myself, maybe when I was like 20, which I think was probably a good age because you're really entering the world. Mm um after you've left school and living at your parents and twenties like the point where it starts getting a bit serious I think um I'd probably just say you have a lot more time than what you think um I feel like I rushed into a lot of things I made a lot of poor decisions um a lot of I made a lot of poor financial decisions because I didn't have the money um and I think ultimately you have a lot more time and to use that time to explore, to be curious, um, to experiment, to try different things, which I have uh, along the way. And I think the advice that I'd probably give to myself is just try your best at everything. Um, and then you'll see eventually what, what will happen. Yeah. Um, keep your values, keep your morals, be a good, honest person with integrity, and you'll be all right.
0: Thank you so, so much. This has been an amazing, enlightening, wonderful, open conversation. And I think the bit for me, I feel like it's going to really surprise people. People are going, to like, oh, you know, that's Charlie Sims, you know, from the reality TV show. And when they hear you speak about the, com- the topics that we've spoken about, they're going to be like, oh, this shit is deep. And I yeah. love that because that. Everybody
1: does. Everybody, everybody who talks to me doesn't expect me to talk like this. I don't know why. I don't know what I come across as on TV. I must come across as a complete. (laughs) No,
0: no. no. You know, in those shows where they're not encouraged, you know, let's talk about gratitude, girls. Like, what are we grateful (laughs) for today? You know, it would be a whole different show. So it's just the surface of obviously, you know, the platform, but who you are is, Mm. you know, it's, it's great. And I think it's actually really inspiring. Um, for people to go oh my god you can be and I think that's really for me what I love is that you can be this reality tv star with a huge social media following and also into spirituality and and be mindful it's like you can marry the two together and and I ultimately that is true success right having both of those areas filled
1: yeah and also just have fun yeah just have fun like just you know I just I try to have fun a lot of the time I try to wake up with a positive mindset try to laugh and joke with my friends my family as much as I can and just have fun life, yeah. you know, life like I said earlier is a short experience so just enjoy it as much as you can
0: Absolutely Thank you so much
1: Thanks Nicola, I appreciate it, it was great talking to you